Um, it is Mother's Day, which is a strange holiday in our culture. If you ever investigate the history of Mother's Day, it's kind of strange. It's also strange uh, in the Western church particularly. Uh, 1,500 years ago or so, uh, the powers that be said only men should be priests, even though the Bible says that all believers are, are priests. About 1,000 years ago, they started saying, well, those priests shouldn't be, they can't be married, even though the Bible says, well, um, be careful of those that forbid marriage. That's a fascinating verse. And then around that time, uh, I think partly as a compensation, the church started making a really big deal out of Mother Mary. And then about 500 years ago during the Reformation, the Protestants came along and kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater and said, well, we don't do the Mary thing anymore. And so there's been a confusing relationship with motherhood. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's a whole lot of patriarchy in Scripture. And yet, if you pay close attention to Scripture, there's this amazing, I think utterly fascinating, somewhat hidden matriarchy. And, uh, you know, Jesus said that uh, whoever does the will of my father is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus believes that you are his mother. And you can argue with him about that if you want. Uh, but I've been reading a lot of Julian of Norwich, and she always talks about, hey, Pam and Emma, she always talks about Jesus as being, um, as Jesus being a mother. And Pam, you didn't have had a vision about that once. And I used to think, well, that's kind of weird. But then I thought, well, gosh, if we are his mother and we are also his body, and uh, he must feel what's going on in his body, that means he really is a mother too. And in Scripture, you know, um, Wisdom is a, fe a female verb, in, or a female noun in Hebrew, so Jesus is like in a masculine body with a feminine spirit of wisdom, and ruach, this word for spirit, is also feminine. So there's a whole lot of matriarchy in the body, in the Bible, and in your body, and uh, you are all Jesus' mother, um, which is fascinating because I think that means that anything good in this world, anything, uh, anything that's truly loving, any truth, uh, any faith, hope, and love is not something that's made, it's something that's birthed, which explains a whole lot of the labor and the trauma and the travail that we all are experiencing, right? And then that means that your earthly mother, your physical mother, is this sacramental, amazing representation of Christ and who it is that we're all supposed to be. So right now, let's just thank God for your mom, okay? And Lord, I particularly want to thank you this morning for Angie, um, who's giving the message. I thank you for the incredible gift that she's been to me for, well, decades, that she's been to our church and to the children of our church that she's been to so many for whom she is a counselor. I thank you for her uh, wisdom. I thank you for her compassion. I thank you, Lord, so very much for her creativity. And I thank you for her vision, Lord, for story, and that you are telling a story and you invite us into your story. I thank you that she is your story. So I thank you, Lord, for Angie this morning and ask that you would help us uh, to hear what you have to say to us through Angie. Lord, we lift up these prayers to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. John ten seven through 16 So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Here I raise my Ebenezer. By thy help, I've come this far. May we all be living Ebenezers today. Amen. Well, Peter already shared with you what I was going to say about Mother's Day. I'm really glad he did, because that gives me more time. (laughs) Um, But um, I want to acknowledge it too. Mother's Day is hard for some of us. Maybe we've lost a mother. Maybe we've wanted to be a mother. All the things he listed. And I just want to tell you that you can come here today in whatever space you're in with that feeling, with that issue. And that's actually a part of what we're going to be talking about, is coming as we are. The other thing I want to say is I want to invite you to um, notice what you resonate with 
I don't know if you've heard the word resonate. I'm sure you've heard the word resonate. How would you be a human and not hear the word resonate? Um, (laughs) But I like to think of resonate as this idea of um, a string plays, maybe Anthony plays the guitar, a note on the guitar, and it vibrates, and it vibrates in here, in me. And resonance is a lot like that. When someone outside of us says something or does something or feels something and we feel it in here. And I want to talk about resonance all the way through today. And I want to invite you to feel into how you resonate with what we're going to talk about. You may or may not, and that's okay. But notice what it feels like, maybe in your body, maybe in your emotions. What do these things resonate with in you? So... The story of the Good Shepherd is one that has been with me since I was very little. Um, My mom used to read a book to me. How many of you guys had this book read to you? If you're in like 55 or so, that's how old I am. Um, In the 70s, these books were really popular in church. I don't know if none of you seem to be like, I don't think so. Um, My mom read this book to me all the time. And my brother, John and the Little Lost Lamb. And it was my first exposure to the story of the Good Shepherd and how he loves his sheep. And then my mom, I remember reading to me Hind's Feet on High Places. I don't know how many of you have read that book. Um, Yeah, good. (laughs) So not so much the Arch book, but Hind's Feet, that's good. Um, Hind's Feet on High Places is the story of um, Much Afraid and the journey with the shepherd to where he changes her heart and gives her a new name. And that was very formative for me. I I heard that when I was about 10 years old. And um, I want to share with you today that story. You just heard it, actually, in the scripture reading, but I want to give it to you the way we give it to our kids in church. And um, that's what I wanted to tell you, is I've told your kids this story a lot. I think you said decades. I don't, has it been decades? <laughs> I think it's been like 15, 12, 15 years. <laughs> That's true. Decades. Um, but I've been telling, oh my gosh. <laughs> I've been telling this story to your kids. I mean, a variety of kids that have come through for like sometimes twice, two or three times a year I tell it to them because I feel like it's so important and so formative. And um, when we tell it in children's ministry, we use something called godly play, and we tell the story, and then we ask kids questions about how they resonate with it. (laughs) Um, And the idea is that the story is there, and God wants to come play with them in the story, and he does that through what resonates. So we ask them, hey, which part of the story, I wonder which part of the story you like best? Or we might ask, I wonder which part of the story we could leave out and still have the same story. That's their favorite question. And honestly, that's the one where I see amazing truths just unearthed. Um, It's a weird thing, but it just like something about trying to figure out what we could leave out shows us that we need every part of the story. But one time, about five years ago, I told the story and there was a little 10-year-old, a little 10-year-old, who um, we, after we did the questions and the wondering, she went and drew a picture. And her picture looked like this. 
it had three sheep along the bottom and a shepherd. And then she drew trees and different things kind of going up the side. And in the very top corner of the picture, there was a rock. And behind the rock was a little sheep peeking out. And there was a thought bubble coming out of it. And it said, I wonder if anyone knows I'm here. I resonated with that. I could feel it in here. And when I drove home, my kids weren't with me that day, and I drove home, I wept all the way home because I know what that feels like to not be seen. And it broke my heart. I want to propose to you as we dive into this story that the story of the Good Shepherd is the story of the mother heart of God. That Jesus is, among other things, our mother. And this story is about how he saves and redeems us. So, once upon a time, Jesus said, there was a good shepherd. Now you have to understand that when he said that, he was standing in front of a group of tax collectors and sinners. That's the word for them in the Bible. But when he looked up, right behind them, there were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees had just said, why is he talking to these people? What, why is he even spending time on them? They don't know what to do. They're not behaving right. And so Jesus, I think, looked them straight in the eye and he said, I'll say it again, once upon a time there was a good shepherd. They would have understood when he said good shepherd that he was contrasting that with the bad shepherd. Because all the way through the Old Testament, in places we didn't read today, in Ezekiel, there's a conversation about a good shepherd and a bad shepherd. And what the good shepherd does and what the bad shepherd does. So the Pharisees would have known that's what he was talking about. And he said this good shepherd, he builds a fold for his sheep with twigs and branches and he puts thorns on top and he lays across the opening and is the door to the sheepfold. And every day this shepherd will take his sheep out one by one. He has a hundred of them. And he takes them out one by one and he takes them to find the green grass, the best grass you could eat. Lots of it. And when they are full, he takes them to drink the crystal clear water. The best water you've ever tasted. I wonder if you can resonate with that. Mountain water on your tongue. And then he takes them home through the dark places. And as he walks them through the dark places, he protects them with his rod and his staff. Sorry, this is a children's staff. (laughs) Doesn't exactly fit me. But um, he takes them through the dark places and he protects them with his rod and staff. And he takes them home and he counts them into the fold. One, two, three, all the way up to 96, 97, 98, 99. One is missing. And so he leaves the 99, Jesus said, And he goes all the way back. He passes the green grass and the clear water. And he searches until he finds her. He hears her voice. 
He knows her voice. She hears his voice calling to her, and she gets louder. And he goes and he finds her in a pit. She's stuck and she can't get out. And he takes his staff and he hooks it around her middle and he pulls her out of the pit and into his lap. And I always say to the kids, do you think he says, shame on you for falling in a pit? And they go, no. (laughs) Do you think he gets mad at that sheep? And the kids go, no. (laughs) No, he takes her in his lap and he binds up her wounds and he puts oil on her head and he puts her up over his shoulders and he gently carries her home to the fold. And Jesus looked the Pharisees in the eye. I'm not pointing at you guys, but back up there. <laughs> I'm not saying you're the Pharisees back there. And these are, no. <laughs> no, he looked them in the eye and he said, there is more joy in heaven for one lost sheep who repents than for all 99 who never went away. Wow, that's love. I want to go on this journey and talk today about the mother heart of God and how that shows up and what it looks like. And to start with that, I need to tell you a little bit about people and sheep. And I actually want to show you some sheep. So um, you'll like this. I'm trying. Are we distracting them? No, you're all right. Well, greetings. Here we are out in the field, and we got a sheep who's gone over on her back. Now, she's not able to get up. She's got herself into a a situation where she's rode over on her back, and because her back's quite flat, it's not allowing her to be able to get roll over. Now, if you see a sheep like this, help the sheep. Pull the sheep up, because the sheep will eventually die. The gases will build up and uh, and they will eventually have a heart attack. So you have to approach your sheep carefully. It's not going to hurt you. And if you grab hold of its hoof, one of its legs, give it a pull and pull it. Pull it over like I've done. Oh. Now, 
now it's back over. You can see how flat its back is, and that's the problem with sheep, uh, especially ones that are like this, a, a little bit, probably a little bit too much weight on. Now, it's gonna get back up, it's gonna be a bit wobbly. It's been down for a little while, so, oh, it's gonna work its way back up. It's gonna just settle itself, and there we have it. So this sheep has been saved, its life has been saved. If it had been left there for a few more hours, it would have died. So it's important to check sheep regularly. And also if you do see one then to make sure, make sure that it's not on its back. So you're good, Chris, you saved my life, you're my hero. That was kind of long. I just wanted you to hear him say, you saved my life. You're my hero. Um, isn't that, did you ever think that you could need your life saved for being on your back? <laughs> um, so sheep are always described by us as stupid. That's kind of the going thing that we say. But I thought it was really interesting when I was looking in the scripture, never once did it say that sheep were stupid. Never once. I heard that they wander. <laughs> And they're afraid. Those were the things I heard about sheep in the scripture. And um, I think that's important. What you need to know about sheep is that, oh, I mean people, is that we, are, we come into this world made for connection. We are wired up to connect. And that very early connection is usually with our mom. And it involves her seeing us and attuning to us and seeing our needs and her providing food for us, providing for us, and her staying with us through whatever it is we're experiencing. Here's the kicker. When danger comes, we also have a design in there to get away from it, to protect and the kicker about that is that you can't connect and protect at the same time. You can't be connected and be trying to protect yourself at the same time. And even further, when you use those protective strategies, you've heard of them, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, and sleep. Fawn's a new one. That's when you people please so that um, you'll be safe. Um, you know, you want to make sure that the person that might frighten you feels good about you, so you say all these nice things to them. That's fawning. But fight, flight, freeze, or sleep and fawning have been identified as our methods of protection. And when you're doing those, as a rule, you're literally pushing everyone away, pushing connection away to stay safe. And that is what these sheep, the people, do. Because we're afraid, we push away connection. And when we get in the pit is when we get in the place where we're stuck there, where we can't connect, where we're always pushing away. We're always expecting the worst. And the worst does happen. Traumas, um, things like in the news, uh, problems with friendships, where we feel not seen. We protect. So what does the shepherd do for us when we're in that space? What does the mother do? 
Well, the first thing I want to say that the mother that the shepherd does is that the shepherd sees us. I can't tell you enough how important it is to be seen. When one way, when Peter was talking about Mother's Day and the difficulty of Mother's Day, I hope if anyone was in that position, they felt seen, they felt known. This is what the mother brings. She attunes to us. She knows our need. Mothers say that when their babies are born, they know all the different cries. Like um, there's a cry for hunger, there's a cry for fear, there's a cry for please change me. (laughs) Um, And mothers get to know those. That's a part of seeing. When God sees us, he knows us so deeply. And he doesn't ask us to to not be where we are. He says, I, I'm here you right where you are. One of the most important things about seeing is I'm not gonna sit here and try and fix it. So when someone tells me, oh, I'm in a really hard space, I'm not gonna say to them, well, you shouldn't be there. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say to them, tell me more about what that feels like. Let me hear what you're feeling and what you're experiencing and let me resonate. And one of the things I want to tell you that I learned about when I was first learning about play therapy and therapy in general is this idea that as a therapist, I want to have one foot in the resonance with their pain or suffering and one foot in the hope that this is the work of the person who's loving someone is to be able to be with them in the pain and know what that feels like and connect to what it feels like here but also to have one foot in the hope, in the safety, in what we know is true. And um, God does that. I was thinking about even in the story of Lazarus. You know, Jesus is standing in front of the tomb. He knows that in a couple minutes, he's gonna say, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus is gonna get up and walk out. (laughs) But he starts to weep, Jesus does. Have you ever looked at that story and gone, that's kind of interesting. (laughs) That's Jesus being with us in our suffering. Not just like from an up here position, but right in it, feeling it with us. But also knowing that in a couple minutes, he's going to call Lazarus out. (laughs) Um, One of the interesting things in therapy, this happens probably about 90% of the time, Um, when I have parents come sit on the couch. Um, They'll come in to talk about their kids and they'll say something along the lines of, um, well, we're having trouble. He's, there's lots of outbursts. Um, I can't get them to do what I say. Uh, You know, they'll have a long list of what's going on for their child. And generally the mom, generally because this isn't always along the lines of gender, sometimes the dad is in the spot, but a lot of times the mom has tears in her eyes as she's talking. And she's telling me how much it, hurt, it hurts to see her child in this position. And generally the dads, this is really beautiful, they'll put their hands on the mom's back and rub her back because they know the feeling a little, they're, they're connecting with it. But then they'll say something like this to me. I think if, she, if, my, if my wife could learn how to be really firm, this wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> And I'm going to tell you, this is 90% of the time when a couple sits on my couch. This is over and over. I hear it every time. And they, they say, I think if, if she was a little bit more tough 
with them, we wouldn't have this problem. And then they, then they say this, I'm serious, 90% of the time, whenever she's gone and I'm home with the kids, everything's fine. They're playing, they're happy, but when she walks in the door, everybody falls apart. They start whining, they start complaining, they start crying. <laughs> and um, I always look at them and say, okay, well, here's two things about that. One, yes, you're right, the science is kind of here and here. The science says that dads use less words, so it's really easy for kids to listen and obey because they use less words. We use a lot of words, moms. <laughs> um, but here's the thing about the mom. The reason that these children cry when you come in is because they know you see them. They know you hear them. They know that you know their heart, that you're attuned to them. And it's like they've been, it's been building up and building up and building up, and mom walks in and they're like, oh, this is what's happening. <laughs> this is what I'm feeling. And so the mother heart of God, Jesus' heart as a mother for you is that he sees you where you are, and he accepts it. He accepts that you're afraid. He says, I see that you're afraid, and I hear your fear. The next thing he does is that, oh, the best part about that <laughs> is that the story in the Bible about God seeing is, the best one, is the story of Hagar, which we heard about a couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago in the sermon. Um, and she's the one who named God the God who sees me. And she was the first one to be, for the angel of the Lord to come to. And she was seen and heard by God. Okay, so the next thing that God does, that the shepherd does, is he nourishes us. He brings us nourishment. It says in the story, he takes us to the green pastures and the still waters, and he restores our soul. Now, I, um, I spent a lot of time in my life wondering, what exactly does that mean that he feeds us? What exactly is it he brings to us? What is it that saves us, really? And um, I want to talk about the word, where this providing God comes up in the Bible. And it's a, it's a word that um, might be a surprise to you. The name El Shaddai, which is, has been translated God Almighty for a long time. Um, I even saw God the Destroyer when I was researching it. <laughs> um, and, uh, but when I looked into the Hebrew, um, the words were different. It was... Um, the sufficient one, or more than enough, or nourishment. I even saw the word poured out, and the word breast, as in breastfeeding. This is the God who gives of himself, pours out himself for us, and feeds us. Um, and so what that looks like, I mean, this is really interesting. Jacob's in his prophecy in Genesis 49, 25 to his sons, he says, by the God of your father who will help you, by the almighty Shaddai, who will bless you with blessings of heavens above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, and blessings of the breast and womb. <laughs> Mother God, basically. Um, in John 10, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And the word abundantly, when I looked it up, it's more than necessary. It's much, much more than all. 
So what is it that brings that abundance to us? I think it's the presence of God. In the Psalms, David says, the nearness of God is my good. When God comes close to us and sees us, he provides the nourishment of his presence. And that is what's going to be the thing that changes us. So in parenting, um, it's, it's really important to be able to be present with your children, with our children, and in relationships with friends and the people that we're around. Presence is what causes, makes the difference. Um, they've studied in therapy. I know I keep talking about therapy. That's my day, basically, every day. But um, in, in the study about therapy, one of the things they ask is, which modality is the best? What works the best? And a lot of the studies have said that the modality really isn't as important as the presence of the therapist. The presence, the resonant presence of the therapist not the therapist just sitting in the room, <laughs> but the, actually the, the fact that the, present, the therapist is feeling with one foot in my sadness and one foot in the hope. And that is what changes people. It's not a magic wand. It doesn't change your kids immediately. They may not even respond right away. But over time, that love begins to shift and change the trajectory of the heart to where it is itself. So one of the things that happens when we're pushing away is that we get far away from who we are. And when God loves us, when he's with us, we can be who we are. The, we get out of the pit. Now this is an important thing about the pit. We can't really get there without the pit. We can't really get there unless we're lost. Um, this was when, I think about when Jesus was looking at the Pharisees. I'm sure he was just shaking his head. You guys have no idea how lost you are. We can't know how, what it is to come out of the pit until we know what we're in and we see it. And that happens when God is with us. Um, there's a story of, um, well, actually, <laughs> this is interesting. Um, one time, Lila, my youngest, was laying in bed and she was telling me a story about her day and some hard things she was going through. And I launched into great parent mode. Well, have you thought about this? And maybe you should do this. And, well, this is what you're feeling, you know? <laughs> oh, but you're so great. And it only took a couple seconds of that for her to go, why did I even say anything? <laughs> it's okay. I'm okay. <laughs> and I went, oh, shoot. And I stopped and I said, okay, let, can we start over? Can we have a do-over? And she goes, yeah, I guess. We'll see. And I said, what if I listen to you and I'm only allowed to say, that sounds hard. How would that be? And she said, I don't know if you can do that. <laughs> sounds hard. That sounds hard. <laughs> she said, that sounds hard. No, yeah, she wouldn't be that kind of other. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's very kind. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I said, well, give me, let me try. And so she started talking again, and I, I, this is the important piece, though. It couldn't be a script, 
right? So I had to connect with what she was saying, which I wasn't doing before. I wasn't present to her. I was present to the fix. I was present to the behaviors. This is beyond behavior. And behaviors are sometimes another way of us protecting ourselves, getting all right behavior. I'm going to get all the right behavior. And that's a way to protect ourselves, a way to make ourselves safe, we think. But this is beyond behaviors. I had to drop in and feel what she was feeling. And when I did, I recognized that I had times in school when I felt the things she was describing. And I said to her, oh, honey, that sounds hard. She looked at me. She kept going. I said, oh, that really sounds hard. I I know that feeling. And miraculously, she kind of relaxed. And then she said, well, what would you do? (laughs) That doesn't always happen. (laughs) So the mother heart of God is um, the heart that hears us and sees us, the heart that provides for us its presence, his presence, and the heart of God is the mother heart that does not leave. This is so important. Emmanuel, God with us. See you, Manny. (laughs) His name is Emmanuel. Yes, God with us. That heart does not leave us. He does not leave us or forsake us. And um, I want to show you a small scene from a wonderful movie that Lorian introduced us to many years ago called The Hunt for the Wilder People. It is the story of a little boy named Ricky Baker. Actually, he's not that little. He's preteen. And um, Ricky Baker was abandoned by his mother and put in foster care with um, Bella and Hector, who live out in the New Zealand bush. And when they drop him off, Ricky Baker at Bella's and Hector's house. Um, The agent that drops him off, this is a comedy, by the way, so imagine this in comedic form, which is interesting. Um, She says, he's disobedient, a bad egg, he steals and spits and kicks things and does graffiti, and he runs away. And as a parting shot, the officer said, no one else wants you. And she gets in the car and shuts the door. But what follows is so powerful in this comedy. It's comedic and powerful at the same time. Bella turns to Ricky Baker and she says, you look hungry. Let's go get you something to eat. And this, what follows from that is just this amazing little tiny montage of Bella and Ricky. And Bella slowly rebuilding Ricky loving him. She takes him small game hunting. (laughs) They're like bringing, you know, rabbits home to eat, and it's pretty funny. But this scene is the ultimate resolution of that, and I want you to see it. Ricky Baker, now you are 13 years old. You are a teenager, and you're as good as gold. Ricky Baker, Ricky Baker, happy birthday. Once rejected, now accepted by me and Hector, a trifecta. Ricky Baker, ah, Ricky Baker, ah, Ricky Baker, ah, ah, Ricky Baker, ah, ah, Ricky Baker, ah, ah, Ricky Baker, ah, ah, Ricky Baker. 
Oh, and that's where you can find it. <laughs> Hunt for the Wilder People. Ricky Baker. I'm sorry you're going to be singing that song all the way home. <laughs> uh, I think I was singing it in my head in the middle of the night last night. Um, I love that. It's so funny and it's so beautiful. I remember I also cry. I cry a lot. I also cried when I saw that. Um, once rejected, now accepted. Brought into the trifecta, the trinity. And... Um, I think it's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of the mother's love. A little fun fact about that, they were going to do the scene and they found out that Happy Birthday is copyrighted and they couldn't put it in the movie. And um, so she made that song up, this woman. And I think it's like the most powerful part of the movie for me. Um, So the mother heart just pulls us in, pulls in the rejected parts of us, the shadowy parts of us, the parts we're not wanting to share, the beautiful parts of us, the mother heart pulls them in and doesn't leave. She stays. Jesus stays. And I want to propose to you that this is what actually changes us. This is what changes us, this love. Now, this is an interesting thing. Um, There's a woman that I listen to a lot who talks about parenting, and her name is Robin Goebel. And she says, a lot of people ask her, oh, how does that, it's hard to make this work. Like, how do I make this loving work so that I get the outcome behaviorally that I'm looking for? And Robin was like, ooh, I think that's not the point. And the parent was like, what? (laughs) And Robin said, no, 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 the point is that I am always going to come with presence and with love, and I'm going to see them, and I'm going to stay with them, and the change in them may not look like a behavioral change. It may look like they become someone who knows they are loved, and then they can love. But it may take a while, and it may not look how we want it to look, but you have to be authentic in it and know that you're going to keep loving this kiddo no matter what the outcome is, the outcome suddenly becomes unimportant. <sighs> wow. Um, one time, I was talking with a friend about her kiddo. He had just gotten a whole big container of Easter candy, and um, he wanted to have one before breakfast. And that was a rule, no candy before breakfast. And <laughs> you know where this is going, huh? <laughs> That's why we all don't like Halloween very much. <laughs> Too much candy. So anyway, he, his mom said, no, certainly not. We're going to go to school. You got to have your breakfast. And he threw an absolute fit. And this is, we were just talking about, what do you do when this happens? I mean, he was kicking, throwing things, saying, I hate you. Why do you do this to me? And the mom got so frustrated that she threw the candy away. No more candy. We're done. And um, we started reflecting together. And I said, wow, that just sounds like that was really hard. That must have felt really awful in that situation, to have him yelling at you, demanding candy. Ugh, so hard. And she said, yeah, it was, but I don't know if I did the right thing. I said, yeah, I don't know if there's a right thing necessarily, but I do wonder something. I wonder if that moment when he was overwhelmed and afraid and lashing out, pushing you away, 
I wonder if that moment was the whole point of parenting, that the candy wasn't the point, whether or not you gave it to him or you got controlling with him, which is kind of how we go. We either get really controlling or we give in. What if the point of parenting is to just hold him here in this spot and say, I see you, and to stay with him as he rages and pushes away? What if that's the whole reason you had him was for that moment? And she was like, oh yeah, maybe. And we started kind of thinking about that and what that felt like. And I really think that that is the way it works. I don't think Jesus is up there going, I want to make sure we have these behaviors and these behaviors or not any of these behaviors. I think he wants to say, Honey, I have something for you way bigger than that candy you're trying to eat. I have abundance for you. Abundance of connection and life. And the only way to show it to you is to stay with you while you rage against it. Until you know, deep in your heart, this is what you need. And this is the thing. When that happens, we become people who love. You know, Peter was saying earlier that we, the mother births us and then we birth others. I think that's how we do, that's how we come to that place is when we've been loved, when we've been seen and provided for and stayed with, when the love doesn't leave us, when Jesus doesn't leave us. I want to tell a story about my own experience with what that's like. Um, every, so for the last four years, um, my husband's in the back. For the last four years, my husband, Benjamin, has, um, he, four years ago, I should say, he said to me, it's really hard to like focus on each other. And I want to just have this set up where every weekend we have an hour and I set a timer and I focus on you and nothing else. And I give you a massage. Is that okay with you? (laughs) You have to know something about me. I love massages. (laughs) And so I was like, well, sure, yeah, that sounds great. And so every weekend we started doing, having this time, this sacred time. And then I, pretty soon I said, well, you need an hour. So he got one the next day. And then pretty soon there were things that I was le- learning in modalities of counseling and things that I started bringing into that time. And he and I started doing work. We started talking about what's happening inside of us and what we were afraid of and what we felt embarrassed about. And um, this became just a really sacred time. We, we only miss, have missed a few times in the last four years, not very many. And one night, we had some friends over. And the conversation started, you know, we started telling stories. And somebody brought up a story about a time when they had a birthday party as a kid and no one showed up. And one of my kids spoke up and said, oh, I had one of those. And I could see the depth of pain in their voice as they shared that. And I immediately felt stung because you know why they had that experience? Because I got dates mixed up and details mixed up and people didn't get the invitation in time. It was my fault. And I immediately felt just covered in shame, just um, under a weight of shame. And um, 
we, you know, we ended that time and I went to bed and I woke up at 4 a.m. just in a shame storm. I'm terrible. I was not the good mother I wanted to be. I wasn't the perfect mother. I was really focused on that um, because of some beliefs I had, some lies that were inside of me about what it means to be a mother. And I felt so much shame. And then I felt worried about my child. Like, I did that to them. They're going to have pain in their life because of me, the one who didn't want to do that to them ever. It was because of me. And I just felt so much shame. So, well, fortunately, the next day was my hour. And so I went to my hour, and I said, he said, what do you want to work on? And I said, oh, shame about the birthday party. And so we spent time trying to locate where I felt it. Some, some of it was in my shoulders. They were tense. Um, I felt it here. We got, he listened to me. He heard me. He saw me. And we located the pain in my stomach. It felt like disgust and shame. And he said, what's the message under that for you? What are you believing about yourself? I believe several things that um, if I wasn't a good mother, I wasn't worthy of love. If I made these mistakes, I wasn't worthy of love. And that was just eating away at me. I was in a pit with it. I was lost. It was swirling around over and over in my head. And Benjamin said to me, I wonder, what would you like to do with that shame, with that message? And I said, I closed my eyes for a minute, and I said, well, I... I see Jesus standing here with his arms out. And he said, okay, put, put it in his arms. And I said, okay. And so I leaned forward. We try to like put our bodies in the position of what we're doing internally so we can feel it. So I leaned over and I poured it out into his hands. And then Benjamin said, well, what, what happened? And he said, well, he took it and he died. He let it burn up and he died and it's gone. And um, I, the rest of that day, I can't tell you how connected I felt, how free I was to go to that child and say, tell me more about how I hurt you in that moment. And I was free to love and be connected in a way I hadn't been because I was protecting myself all night long. I can't handle this shame, only let's put it on me. It's like this really weird dance we do with shame, isn't it? I can't handle it, but here's more. Thank you, you know. And I was able to listen and let it free and to connect. And that's how the love of God is, isn't it? It burns away the shame and the lies that we believe so that we can be who we are. So, I'm going to see if I can get this right. <laughs> on the night that Jesus was betrayed, hold on, I can't see you guys. <laughs> oh, good, good, okay, we're doing it. <laughs> on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, the grass, himself, and he broke it. Okay, this is the part. <laughs> and he said, this is my body given for you. Whenever you eat of it, I want you to remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup. 
and he poured it out, El Shaddai. (laughs) I hear that baby. Do you hear that baby? I'm attuned. (laughs) But he poured it and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Drink it. And whenever you drink it, I want you to remember me. I want you to come with me and let it be burned up. Die with me and live with me as who I have made you to be and free. So I invite you to come forward and take bread and take the cup. The blue cups are grape juice and the brown ones are wine. And know that you're receiving his life in you. Though I may speak some tongue of old or even spit out some holy word Sit me down and see I'm weak. We will run and scream. You will dance with me. You'll fulfill your dreams and we'll be free. We will be. said yes as I said please this ain't no sham I am what I am and I'll leave no time for a cynic's mind we will run and scream you will dance with me you'll fulfill your my heart and soul in its place and I will love with urgency but not with haste we will run and scream you will dance with me you'll fulfill This will be far away.
Um, I feel super grateful for this week I've had in many ways. One of them is um, Mike and Sasha and Glenn and just how they've taken care of me in the process. I don't know if you realize how much they hold for this moment. Um, and Anthony singing that song, that's Mumford and Sons, my favorite, one of my favorite groups, and that's one of their songs. And I said, Anthony, this would be my dream to hear this song. And he said, oh, I can do that. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, um, and then just um, this group right here that you was joked about a little bit. Um, these are my, a group of women that I have been parenting with for decades. <laughs> and um, when they heard I was going to be preaching, they all just said, I'm coming. And they came. And um, they don't know how much that means to me. Um, that yes, this sermon comes out of this <laughs> and their husbands and my husband being here just, um, it means so much to me. And all of you, um, it's so wonderful to be up here with you. Um, I love seeing you all. But I want to say one thing in closing. So um, the Pharisees, Jesus saved something for his last story. That was a set of three stories he told And in the final story, he revealed something of his heart for even those who were hurting others so much with their unwillingness to see that they were lost. And he gave them one final statement saying, why don't you just come and celebrate the son with me? It was a story of the prodigal son. And he said to them like they were the older brother, why don't you please come and celebrate with me that the one who was lost has been found? And he doesn't give up on the 99. In fact, the 99 aren't really in the fold because they're all lost and they're out there waiting for him. So I want to bless you today. May you know that you are seen as you are and accepted as you are, that you are provided for and nourished, and that God is not going to leave you. May you know that today as you go home. And feel surrounded by the mother God. Amen. We love you, Randy. Oh. <laughs>